invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's towards the end of your Bible, if you're kind of unfamiliar with that. Uh, just flip over to there. We're going to be looking at that in a few, a few minutes here. Um, I was looking back this uh, past week on some of the new words that uh, Webster Dictionary is rolling out for 2019. And uh, we'll see them up. We'll do kind of like a guessing game here. So I'll give you the new word, see what you, you, if you can guess what it means, right? So some of these are going to be pretty easy, but uh, the first one is vacay. Vacation. It's now a word. Vacay is, is legitimate. So you can now say that and not be speaking eubonics. Uh, next one is fabulosity. Fabulous. Like who says fabulosity? Does anybody have that in your repertoire of vocab? No. I never heard it. Uh, sesh. Yeah. You know, session is just becoming such a long word. <laughs> so you have to just say sesh now. Uh, it means session. So uh, here's one, inspo. Yeah, I don't know how they got inspo out of, in, or inspiration out of inspo, but apparently it's a word now, inspo. Anybody use that one? I don't know who's writing Webster's anymore. Uh, how about this one? Calrophobia. It's the fear of something. What? <laughs> fear of clowns. Tom Franks. Way to bring it up. Let's go, Tom. How did you know that? Ten years. Webster's behind. So, calrophobia, the fear of clowns. It's a thing. So, uh, it is. So, uh, students, I invite you to, to use this on your paper, all these words, and uh, you can actually just say sesh, and um, if you get in trouble for it, it's not my fault. Um, get a bad grade. So, we're talking about two words today, words we know, words that may be more familiar if, if you have walked with Christ a bit or in church culture. Um, and words that we throw out a lot, but maybe we don't totally understand the background or the importance of. Um, and historically, there are two words that Jesus said, I want you to do these two things. Don't stop doing these two things. And, and, and he, we call them in, in Protestant thinking ordinances. And ordinance is another like old-fashioned word, like who says ordinance? But we have ordinance here in Wadsworth, like there's an ordinance that they're trying to write about, about chickens. So there's an ordinance, you can't have chickens within city limits, and now they're trying to say you can have like five hens or something like that. So there's an ordinance about that. There's an ordinance for speeding, there's ordinances for parking, there's all kinds of things we make ordinances for, laws for, right? So it, it's something we still use in the legal and government uh, categories, but this is something God, uh, Jesus himself said, I want you to do, this is a practice, make sure you don't stop doing this. And the two ordinances Jesus gave very clearly for the church to practice together, one is communion and the other one is baptism. He said, do these things. Every Christian should do these two things. And I bring up the idea of words because I think, as I just had referenced there, sometimes we can use words and we don't understand the meaning behind them. Communion for instance, is one of those words. Now, 
if you typed in, and you had like one of those little Bible search software things, you type in the word communion, you would not find it in the New Testament, in the English. You would type it in and go, well, wait a minute, it's not there. So why is this a big deal if the word communion doesn't even appear in the English? And that gets really confusing, right? So if it's a word that's not even in the Bible, Jesus didn't say that word communion. Uh, you know, it's not written in the letters. Well, why are we doing this thing? Why is it such a big deal? Well, if you go back, the guys who wrote the New Testament, God, you know, inspired the Holy Spirit, came on them. They all spoke Greek. Then, as they started to translate, they being church historians, church fathers, began to translate what was written, the letters, into other languages. The first one, one of them being Latin. And then from Latin, they went into all kinds of other languages. And so, when they started speaking Latin or using Latin, they used this word, communion. And so then you get into the English language, and I mean, we, we don't necessarily use communion on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm like, who of you would like, you know, after hanging out with friends, you know, let's say you have a great weekend with your family, a great weekend with your friends, and then you go to work, and somebody asks you, how are you doing? Oh, we had great communion. Yeah, you, you just wouldn't. no. This is kind of uncomfortable. That's awkward. It kills the conversation. Like, it kills the conversation even among Christians. Like, if you say you have great communion, people are like, communion? Like, who says that? Like, this is not a word we use, right? Now we use community, but for different things. And so what gets lost in translation is the word. What is the original word? What is communion about? If you go back and you read the Greek and you take open the Bible, the Greek Bible, and you say, okay, I want to read that, and you look up what are the words or what's the word surrounding this, it's actually the Greek word koinonia. Anybody Bible junkies know koinonia, heard of koinonia? Yeah, okay, so you've heard koinonia. Let me read you some passages that have this word koinonia in it, and specifically, it's all over the New Testament. So, like, you typed in this word koinonia, and you know how to spell Greek or whatever. Um, you would find it's all over the New Testament. So, as communion isn't there, but koinonia is. And let me read to you some passages where koinonia describes our connection with God. So, here's some of the ones. They're up on the screen. This is uh, John talking about this. That which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have koinonia, relationship, community with us. So he's talking about Christians. And indeed our koinonia or relationship or community is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Skip down to verse 6 of this same chapter in 1 John. If we say we have koinonia, relationship or community with him being Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Peter, he wrote this in his second letter. He said, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us God granting to us his very precious and very great promises so that through them you and I may become 
koinonians, or sharers, joiners, in quotes, I'm, I'm, you know, not a great spelling there, or is that the word joiners, but partakers in the divine nature. Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he said, God is faithful by whom you were called into the koinonia community relationship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said again in the second letter, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinonia community relationship with the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In this last passage, back, back with Peter's first letter, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well, as a koinonia, or joiner, partaker in the glory that's to be revealed. So it, it's, it's a state of being, and it's something to ongoing verb participate in, engage with. And hopefully as you hear the meaning of this word koinonia, you start to to understand this, this is the word that Jesus was talking about. Belonging, relationship, community, connection, and not just specifically with anyone, but with God. God's heart for all people is this word koinonia. It's why he came. And for those who follow Jesus, this isn't something that we get when we die. It's supposed to be right now. It's we get this now. Koinonia now. Community, relationship with Jesus, the Spirit, the Father. Sharing in the divine nature, which is amazing when you think about it, and it starts to bring this even into a, I'd say, full color when you start to think, wait a minute, we get koinonia, but in the reality, each of us is, is born into a life where there is not koinonia, there is not connection or community with Jesus, with the Spirit, with the Father. We, we don't have that. In fact, what we have is we have a place and a position of being in judgment, guilt. We stand in guilt. Our, our connection or our relationship with God when we're born and before we ever would choose to follow him is one of standing in a position of being guilty and deserving the wrath of God. Which makes this whole thing here rich because as you start to understand what this is about the wrath of god produces fear that's what the wrath of god does a scary fear like we just got done with halloween our whole culture country that obsession with it and and go scare everybody and you see all just the the stuff the darkness and everything and yet that fear it's evil has nothing compared to the fear of the wrath of God. Because Jesus said, hey, don't don't fear anything in this world. Like, what can this world do? Take your life? Fear the one who can literally take your soul and destroy it. And Jesus is saying, no, the only one worth fearing is God and his wrath. Paul wrote that God's wrath is being poured out on all the godless 
godlessness and wickedness in this world of people who deny that he is and deny truth and deny what is good and live for what is evil. John Piper once said, he said, that if this wrath produces fear in us, it's the right response. But even if we have that fear, it does not mean we're in a right relationship with God. Even the demons fear God and they, they tremble. They're scared to death of him. They shudder. And this wrath, if, if you come to grips with that, if you ever get in those moments where you think about God's wrath, I mean, some of you grew up where you, you heard the hellfire brimstone messages. And the church has corrected probably too far. And, and we don't want to talk about that wrath. But that wrath is a real thing. Our church is part, as I said earlier, the Christian Missionary Alliance, that denomination. And it was started by a guy named uh, A.B. Simpson, and there's a story, I'm reading a biography of his right now, uh, it just came out, and so there's a story, I, I never knew about him, and I mean, he starts this denomination, it's crazy big, and all the stuff that God did through this man is amazing, but I never knew this story. So if you're in high school right now, this is for you, because this happened when he was 16 years old. And he started hanging out. So if you're junior high, high school, this is you. And I know I felt this when I was grade school and, and more, more in grade school rather than high school because I went to this Baptist camp. I think I shared that with you. And it scared me to death. Um, this guy, if you grew up in church, sorry, I'm way off track. But you, if you guys grew up in church, we did the chalk drawings, the fluorescent chalk drawings. And so the lights are on and he's talking about hell and he's talking about sin and all this stuff and then they turn the, the lights off and the black lights come on and all this fire comes onto this thing and it's it really like scared it scared the hell out of me like i was that scared and i went forward and prayed and it was so scary because he was talking about the wrath of god and he was quoting bible verse after bible verse after i'm like oh my goodness i'm going to hell like it was the truth and I knew it in that moment. And that's, that's when I gave my life to Christ. And Albert Simpson, A.B. Simpson, there was a moment in his life, and he'd been going to church his whole life saying, oh, yes, Jesus, and, um, and, and just kind of doing his thing, excelling at school. But when he was around 15 or 16 years old, he, he started listening to this guy, or this guy came into his town, I'm not sure how it worked, but he was from Ireland. He started preaching about the wrath of God. And it freaked him out. Like, it pushed him over the edge. Because he knew he was in trouble. And he didn't know what to do with the wrath of God. And he couldn't figure it out. How do, how do I escape the wrath of God? If this is what's coming, then I'm dead. And it, it became, like, it became such a big deal to him that he got obsessed thinking that God's wrath, God was coming to pour out his wrath and judge him at three o'clock. It was either one o'clock or three o'clock, but if I remember correctly, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And he would be so obsessed that literally he shut down. He couldn't go out. He was in bed. He could hardly sleep. And he would obsess over that time and he'd get there, get there, get there. And then it didn't happen. And then he'd worry about it for the next 24 hours. I mean, it got to the point where he couldn't sleep even at night. His dad had to hold him. If his dad was holding him at 16 years old, imagine you guys who are freshmen, sophomores, even you junior hires. You're like, don't touch me, dad. Like, yeah, 
They're like, we're done with that, bro. We're good. He's a 16-year-old guy, dude, and he's scared to death. And as 3 p.m. came each day, one day after another, one week after another week after another week, this went on for seven weeks, it started to fade. You know what changed it for him? Koinonia, and in particular, Christ. Fellowship with Christ. And this idea, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to get to 11, but in chapter 10, Paul's writing the church and saying, you guys follow Christ. Why are you off doing all this nasty stuff? Why are you still living like you're, you're part of this world? You're not. You follow Christ. He's your master, your savior. And so he, he ends up saying, don't you understand this connection that we have with Christ? And so he says in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he says, therefore my, or actually verse 14 and 15, let me just um, read the context. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And here it is, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a koinonia, a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, a koinonia, in the body of Christ? And what worked out in A.B. Simpson, what he finally had to work through and understand is, I am in Christ. I share with Christ. I am in relationship with Christ. So when Christ died on the cross, I died with him. I participated, I koinonia, right, with Christ. When his body was broken, I was with him. When his blood was poured out, I was with him. He represented me and it lifted for him the fear and the terror of the uh, of god's wrath lifted when he realized christ took that and he did not have to worry about it again because he believed in jesus The scandal of, of this thing is Christ takes all of our sin and the wrath we deserve on himself and he takes the wrath away from us and says, I, I'm going to take that. You're going to share with me spiritually in this and then I am going to transfer back to you literally, not, not just spiritually, but literally you're going to experience. I'm going to give you koinonia relationship it's just an amazing it's a scandalous thing he takes all the wrath who does that and gives us all love it's amazing connection relationship
this really should be called Relationship Sunday. I mean, we, we call it Communion Sunday, but communion just, it's this word that's Latin that we don't really use that much. This is Relationship Sunday. We're here to celebrate relationship. It could be called Community Sunday. Community. We're in community with God. That's literally the word, relationship. Isn't that cool? We're here to celebrate relationship with God. And in celebrating that, this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. He gives instructions. He says, for what I received from the Lord, in verse 23 of chapter 11, I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And then he gives this instruction. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then or herself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why some of you are weak and ill and some have died. See, he establishes again, hey, this is why we do this. And he gives some, some parameters because the church had just messed it up. The church is forever messing it up. Like, we get it right and then we just get off track and they turn it into this big party and they turn it into a big ha- the haves and the haves not and it became so divisive. This became divisive. And Paul's like, stop, <laughs> stop. And... When you come, and, and, and if this is Relationship Sunday, when you come and you celebrate Relationship Sunday, part of this time is saying, God, how's my relationship with you? How am I doing? And he's saying, look, if you've got stuff, you've got sin that's been piling up, if there's, a, it's not you lose relationship, but that connection gets affected by sin. We have relationship, fellowship gets hindered. Inasmuch as when I was a kid, disobeyed my parents, there was something between us, right? In relationship here, I have with so many of you and know you guys, and if there's something between us, we have relationship, but fellowship is hurt. It's broken. Something needs to be fixed. And he's saying, look, don't, don't just celebrate this time don't just pretend like, oh, I got relationship, because this is a spiritual thing. Do the work. How are you doing? And so this time, we're, gonna, we're going to remember the Lord, his death, his sacrifice that took the wrath of God and gave us in exchange koinonia, connection with him, and I invite you to do that in a way that he calls us to. Um, and yet some of you here, you, 
you may not know, you may not know where you fall out with God or, or what you believe uh, about this. Um, I, I was just, this, yesterday we had, um, we do something here called Alpha, if you're new, and it's just a place for people who have questions to come and ask those questions about life and faith. Um, and it's a time where we don't argue and we don't fight back. I mean, we just had, you know, in my, sem- in my group here over this last year, or this last semester here in September, I mean, there was a moment one night where somebody, there was a talk on the video and it, was, it sparked something in someone, and it was heated. All this stuff came up. And it's a safe place for that kind of stuff to come up and to process because questions are real. And so we had yesterday a time where it was all day, and it was just really how do you connect with God in, in a deeper way. And I was just sitting there just kind of minded my own business and, and there was just a time for prayer and this this gal came up I, I've never met her not part of our church um, late 60s early 70s and she's she's by herself not a part of any group and she says would you pray for me are you like you know professional like prayer or whatever thing yeah I'm, I have prayer we'll pray um, and so I said yeah and so we start talking and it became very apparent as we started to pray, that she had some terrible wounds from her father. Terrible wounds. And we started praying, and she, we just talked about that. And I just made the connection. I said, often, what can happen? And she's new. She's new to this whole thing of faith. I said, what can happen is what happens in your childhood can really affect how you view God and whether it's a relationship with the father or with the church or whatever, in your case, it's the father. And she's like, nobody's ever told me that. And she's sitting there for the first time in her life experiencing the love of God. I don't know whether she believed in Christ or not, but she's sitting there saying, I want to connect with God. Would you pray for me? And she experiences the love of God. And if you've ever heard the message that God's only going to love you if you do something for him, that's wrong. You won't find that in here. This says he loves you right now. And he does not want you in this position where you experience his wrath or judgment. He wants you to take his gift so that you can experience this incredible love even more. And some of you, as, you, as we spend time here, I just invite you, if you want to experience his love, you just tell him, God, would you give me that love? I don't even understand how that works. And it's real simple. It's just saying, okay, that sacrifice Jesus made for me, I want it. Him taking all the punishment for my sin, I want that. And it's in your heart saying, okay, you're the Lord. Now you're, you're calling the shots. You're my king. And uh, my life is yours to command, yours to lead. Relationship Sunday. That's what this is.
I, I invite Jake, um, if you could come uh, off the sides here. Those who are serving communion, if you could come forward. And if you've been a part of a church or in and out of churches over the years, every church kind of does this different, and there's no right or wrong way. Uh, but what we like to do is to serve everybody and then take it at the end. So if you're at a church where you maybe just took it as it passed, hold off. We love to do this all together once everybody's served. And uh, let's just spend some time. Um, I think God would invite you to just, whether it's you have some sin to deal with, deal with it. But if not, just soak in. This is Relationship Sunday. We have relationship with God through Jesus Christ.